We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. With me today, I have Dr. Joseph Jones and Dr. TJ Vary. Dr. Jones is a superintendent of schools in the Newcastle County Vocational Technical School District. Joe's a former high school teacher, assistant principal, and principal. As principal, he was named the Delaware Secondary Principal of the Year, and during his tenure, Delcastle Technical High School was the first high school to achieve the state's Outstanding Academic Achievement Award. Joe received his doctorate from the University of Delaware in Educational Leadership. He's also an adjunct professor for many universities. Dr. T.J. Vary is the Assistant Superintendent of Secondary Schools and District Operations in the Apoquinimink School District, known as the Apo School District. TJ is a former middle school assistant principal and principal and former high school English teacher. His master's degree is in school leadership. His doctorate is in innovation and leadership. He holds several honors and distinctions, including his past appointment as president of the Delaware Association for School Administrators and the Paul Carlson Administrator of the Year Award. He teaches educational leadership courses at the master's and doctoral level. Together, Joe and TJ present nationally on topics of school leadership. They co-founded the Schoolhouse 302, which is a leadership development institute specializing in leadership coaching for new and experienced school leaders. They have written five books together, co-authoring several of those with their friends, Principal E.L. and Connie Hamilton. Welcome, Joe and TJ. I'm excited to have this conversation. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited too, Tanya. So how did you two find each other and begin working together? It's really difficult to find a kindred spirit in education and someone that not only you can work with day to day in the office, but you two have built a podcast, a leadership institute, authored many books together. 
How did this begin and grow? I'll take that one, Tanya. Thank you. It's a great question that I love answering. The truth is most people don't want to hang out with us. So we just found ourselves with (laughs) one another because we were alone. So now all kidding aside, I taught TJ's brother over two decades ago now, which is crazy to think about. And TJ was doing a paper when he was a student at the UAD, was observing my class. Fast forward a few years, TJ started getting into education. I was at a high school, still in the same district I'm in now, that he became a part of. We hit it off just like we had years before. And then from there, it grew. TJ then became the department chair where I was the principal of, but then he left the district and his career just started to soar. And as he went on to do great things, and he still does in Appaquinimic, he and I stayed together. We were avid runners. Well, I was an avid jogger. TJ's the runner. But we would have this kind of rule when we would get together And we wanted to talk about work. We wanted to discuss some of the tough things, which is a lot of the opposite of what people do. It's like, you know, we don't talk about work. We don't share tough things. So we did these runs and just kind of hashed out different issues we were facing. Since we both were in leadership position, it was great. Like-minded, but approach things differently. I think we often would see problems the same, but different. And then one day during a run, I actually took out my phone and said, dude, I got to capture some of these ideas. That was around 2015. And then we started our blog. And originally it was just to put out information we were wrestling with. And then from there, we continued what we called write and runs and would capture ideas on these write and runs. And then from there, it blossomed. We put in a speak. ASCD was the first to give us a shot at one of their conferences. We spoke and then it blossomed from there. Then we started trying to put things out for people that really meant something to them. And then that grew into books and the podcast was kind of under the same guys. Like, you know what? We enjoy talking about these things. Why don't we just invite people into this conversation? And from there, it's just grown. And we've been very fortunate that our message has resonated with a lot of people. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with EdTech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K-12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com slash B-E. So a few things I'm going to throw out there. I keep talking about doing like an education Ragnar race and putting together a team. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ragnar, if you're still running, but (laughs) we should talk about that (laughs) in another time. 
I love the idea of run and rights. I know when I'm out for a run, like that's when my brain picks up a lot of really great information. And I always think I need to like write all of this down or dictate it or save it somehow. Cause by the time I'm back home and in the shower, like it's gone. <laughs> I don't know if you have that experience when you're running, like, yes, I'm brilliant. I solved all the problems. You get home and you're like, oh, nope, it's still just me. But I- I'm curious how the run and write or how the leadership runs influence the ideas for your leadership development idea. And if you're using some of those things, you know, the problems you solved on runs, or if you make your leadership development institute, if those participants have to run with you, <laughs> what does that look like? Yeah, something that we did from the very beginning that's true of, I think, every one of our blog posts still today, and definitely our books, is that we created models. So we would have pillars, the three things, the five things, our recent book, The Seven Mind Shifts. And Joe's really good. I'll mention model genetics, but he's really good at building visual. He's very artistic. And so every time we would find a solution, right, in our own minds, we would pin certain aspects of it and say, all right, well, if that's a pillar of success for this particular problem, what are the other pillars? And if we can narrow those things down to say to leaders, just focus on these three things, or just focus on these four things, this is what you do if you want to be an instructional leader. Or this is what you do if you want to build relationships. And again, our audience really loves when we can make things simple. One of our taglines is getting to simple to lead better and grow faster. And when we were out on these runs, that's what really got us to a point where we were like, we got to write some of this down. Because if we can curate and synthesize from our knowledge base, from the research and the evidence in what works, And we can communicate in a way that resonates with leaders. And I think we really have something. And so from the beginning, the run and rights were really all about, I would say, funneling, continue to talk, continue to talk it out, continue to talk it out until we would get to the main points, the main ideas, the main themes that we thought leaders needed to hear. At least we needed to hear them. But when we put them on paper and we presented them, our very first presentation, somebody in the audience hired us. That's how the Institute was built. The first time we were in front of a group, somebody from the audience came up at the end and said, you're hired. We want you to do this for all of our administrators. That's a great opportunity. Definitely. I know people love bite size and they love that idea of if I do this, I can solve this problem. Or if I do this, I can become this and become a better person. And one of the things that has come up in the coaching group that I'm a part of is that every day you want to be 1% better. Like you don't need to be a ton. You don't need to do everything, just 1%. But if you do 1% every day over a year, you're 365% better. So how do you break that down into bite size? And you mentioned your current new book, Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders. And that's something we talk a lot about on this podcast is the direction that a lot of folks are saying they want education to go versus how do we change the things that we're actually doing day to day and change the way we look at the things that we're doing every day to be able to get there. So let's talk about that. What are your seven mind shifts for school leaders and what can people do to move forward? And TJ can get into the nitty gritty of of this, Tanya, but I'll say the book was inspired by COVID, but it's not a COVID book. And what happened is I think all of us discovered 
when push came to shove during COVID, we had to figure things out. And so in our discussions, TJ and I, but even in our own systems, once the building was deemed as possible like a hostile environment, right, that this, the building itself was not a functional place for students to learn, then we had to figure out an alternative. And I think it's when we felt like our backs were up against the wall, there was no choice. And I think a lot of us has heard of the Greek mythology stories and some others of like burning all the ships. So there's no recourse but to go out and fight and win. That was kind of the approach I feel many schools and districts during a pandemic, a crisis, took with leading their schools. So when we started to discuss that, it's, it wasn't about necessarily what did you do, but it was what mindset did you embrace to figure it out? For example, we've been battling with students not reading on grade level for years. And it's because we're still, whether we admit it or not, and it's not an easily fixed thing. And I think that's the beauty of TJ and I still being practitioners. We're working every day to fix it in our own systems. We're not going to say, oh, do this. We're going to say is this is what we're trying. And to your point of the 1%, we're aiming at that 1%. It's if we had no other choice, but to solve students not reading on grade level, what are we going to do about it? We got to fix that. But what we'll do is sometimes talk about literacy or drop everything and read. And we start like literally downing the real issue by coming to conclusions too soon or start thinking about what we're doing. And so we try to avoid all of the clutter that speaks to the problem, but isn't the problem. The problem is kids aren't reading on grade level. So what do we do about it? And then don't come to me with stuff we've tried. Don't come to me with other issues. Come to we just, how do we fix this? And quit blaming. Quit saying like, oh, we have to do this first or whatever. Like you can't say, well, they don't do this in third grade. Like I'm a high school only system. I can't worry about what goes on prior to in K-8. But what are we doing in the ninth grade, period? And I think COVID just forced us to abandon so many conventional approaches to solving issues because convention just wasn't working. And that's what the book really is about. And so what we identified was a crisis mindset. We gave a definition for what a crisis mindset is and what problems, like what actually is a crisis. Persistent, urgent, and important. We defined that. And then we led into these seven mind shifts that we kind of uncovered as a result of COVID. Whether people knew they were using them or not, didn't matter. We tried to label them and identify them. And then the book specifically starts to uncover those mind shifts. Yeah, I love what you said about coming to conclusions too soon. And you kind of alluded through the part of the conversation of coming up with solutions to solve the conclusions that we've come up with too soon, whether we're throwing an initiative at it or throwing a program at it or 
trying something that kind of sort of worked five years ago and maybe it'll work again. So let's do it because it improved, you know, a few kids reading level, but not everybody because you've come to that conclusion instead of identifying what is the problem. A hundred percent, Tanya. And that's systems thinking, right? Something that school leaders aren't necessarily taught when they get a master's degree or a doctorate degree in school leadership. We learn about finance and we learn about discipline and we learn about law, but we don't necessarily learn about real elements of leadership, especially things that have come out of the business world like systems thinking. And so one of the chapters in the book is actually called The Octopus Approach. We've presented on it nationally. We're going to be at NAESP and NASSP coming up here to present on The Octopus Approach. And the fact of the matter is that an octopus has nine brains. It has a central brain, and then it has eight brains, one in each of its arms. And those things can operate independently, but they are centralized at one point. And it's the way that the octopus survives. It's the way it swims. It's the way it eats. And if we don't think about our schools in terms of we feed kids, we transport them, we have medical arms in in a lot of our facilities. If we don't think of schooling with all of those various aspects of the system that brings up the whole, we're going to make decisions in isolation, like Joe said, too quick without really uncovering the problem. And it's going to affect stuff. It's going to impact things and cause unintended consequences. So we show leaders in the book and in our presentations how to think differently about their problems and how to use things like systems thinking and some of the other mind shifts that we prescribe. I'd love to hear more about that. And first, I've learned something new about octopuses. I didn't realize that, or octopi, maybe. I didn't realize they had nine brains. I've learned something new. But it's one of the things that I talk a lot about because you know I'm running a school. I don't have a background as an education leader. I don't have a background in education. My background comes from business. I had an MBA And so I look at the school very much as a startup and as an entrepreneur and as how can we look at all of these different things. And I think that's one of the things that I find really interesting when I talk to educators and when I support new founders is looking at education from the curriculum standpoint, but also looking at it from the business standpoint. And how can we bring those lessons from the business world and leadership in to help us and support us? And I've talked to a couple of other leaders on the show as well, talking about some of those similar things. So what other things are you bringing? You mentioned systems thinking, but what other things have you brought in from business that is supporting leaders or another way to look at that? What characteristics do you think it takes to be a really successful school leader? Yeah, there's a few. One thing I will say that we're really proud of, and and TJ may have his own example as well, It's, you know, we feature a specific business that has run with this. And so Sarah Blakely comes to mind in the book and she created formware for females. Yeah. Love Spanx. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) I I, I was going to say, you know, it's funny that when we bring this up, Tanya, I just spoke to a group of math teachers in our state and brought up and I was like, who's familiar with Spanx? And all the women like very shyly were like, uh, of course, we know Spanx. Yes, and we don't um, talk and, about it. <laughs> and that's exactly right. And I didn't know. I'm thinking she's the best thing ever. She is. We just don't talk about it. 
And I'll say, like, most people don't realize how that is associated with how we're solving problems. When you read her story and realize that she was in real estate in Florida, she was tired of wearing stockings in the heat that didn't look good. And that if you cut the feet off of the stockings, they roll up. So until you really realize that she just sought out to solve a real issue in her life, and we combine that with like the Zen Buddhist principle founded by Soshin of the beginner's mindset and kind of eradicating some of the things you know that blur your thinking. She then discovered that the pantyhose industry was dominated by all men. Go figure. Who had no clue what it was like to be a woman in real estate in Florida dying of heat. And so it's things like that. But she took it upon herself not only to solve it, but find out more about the industry. And it's a quick story. It's not even that long. But we intro with that. And then not only with her story in the beginner's mindset, just also how do you deal with reality? And we feature dominoes and how dominoes for the longest time was being crushed by people. A lot of those that were coming out publicly saying Domino's pizza stunk and their sauce tasted like ketchup and the CEO coming on national TV saying, we hear you. It sucks. We're going to fix it. And so we try to feature that from the business lens. But I think as educators, because we exist, because kids come through our doors because we're a part of a community, we often may not listen as much as we should because we're afraid how it's going to make us look. And we've come to the realization that we already have people looking at us a certain way. Own it. Quit acting like the problems aren't there. They're there. They're being talked about. People know it. And it might be a little more sensitive for TJ and I because we're in a heavily choice environment in the state of Delaware, especially our county. So we're very much aware of this. But we try to draw a through line for what businesses have done And so whether it's Sarah Blakely, whether it's Domino's, whether it's Zappos, but what we can do in education. And so we take that story and those principles that fuel their success and how can we employ them in education? So you don't really need a business degree. You don't even need to really understand what they did. You need to understand the principles that made them successful and then embody and embrace them as much as possible. One of the stories that I love about Sarah Blakely, and I don't know if you, how much you read into her, if you've heard this one, but after she developed like the prototypes of Spanx and she was trying to sell it into different retailers and she couldn't get anybody to listen to her. And everybody's like, no, the pantyhose are fine. We don't need this. This is a product that just isn't going to be successful until she took one of the female buyers I think from Nordstrom, but I could be wrong, into the bathroom. And she went into the restroom stall and she put on the Spanx and she came out and she's like, now look at what this does. And the woman was like, oh my gosh, you are right. This is going to revolutionize the industry. After getting told no over and over and over and over again, she literally had to pull the buyer into the bathroom and show her the way that it worked and what it does for it to make sense. And I feel like 
that might be something that we need to do within our school districts and with our educators as well in order to shift mindset. We can talk about all the things and the things that we want to have happen and the things that we want to change, but until we can really pull them aside and say, hey, this is what it looks like and this is what it feels like and this is what it could be like if we do these things, what do you think? Are you on board? And I guess the other piece of that that it makes me think about is when, even as I talk to elementary school students, the question isn't always, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what problem do you want to solve in looking at the world? So as you're you know, in your school districts and working with educators, what does that look like when you're supporting educators to make those mind shifts as well, to really shift the ideas and the feel and the culture of a school district? I'll say this, what you just described is thematic within this particular book, but I think it's also a through line in our work at the Schoolhouse 302. We were criticized early on in our publications for being heavy business lit review and research. They wanted to see the big name authors in the back of the book who we're referencing from the education world. And we refused. I mean, yes, we've read those books. And yes, lots of them, many of them are very good. I want to underscore something here that we're not saying that schools should just be run like businesses. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that there's a lot of business principles that can be brought into education and simplified for school leaders. And what you're saying, and it's the major aspect of the book, like I'm I'm calling it a theme, is that we need a culture of try. We've built from the ground up, in a lot of cases, a culture of why, whether it's asking people to connect their own why to the vision, using what Simon Sinek really meant by explaining the why of the school better to the community, and asking the question, why? Why should we do that differently? Things are okay. Things are fine for me. And what we're saying well, that's a shift in the book is a culture of try. It's to bring in the fire into the bathroom and saying, can you just put these on, see how it feels? Because we have a tendency to reflect on new solutions before we implement them and come up with reasons why they won't work before we've even tried to do them. And so what we're saying in the book, and one of the chapters is a yes and attitude. And we took that from improv. Because we've got a lot of people who say, yeah, but. And in improv, you're always building. And when you build, you say, yes, that's true. And then you add something to the conversation. And that's the kind of culture that we would like moving from a culture of why to a culture of try. And in another one of our books called Passionate Leadership, we wrote extensively about a learning culture, which we took from organizational design to say, Everybody needs to come to the table as a learner first and as a teacher or leader second. And I think that's the difference when you're trying to make a shift, trying to make something new stick and shedding the problems that we have because we continue to want new and different results by doing the same things that we've always done. And and that just doesn't work. Yes. And that's something that... uh... One of the things that I bring in from, yeah, business background as well is you can't keep doing the same things that you've always done and expect a different outcome. 
and moving from a culture of why, what is our why, why are we doing this to a culture of try, like give it a try, let's do this is something that I think we can definitely all learn from. Shifting gears a little bit, there's a question that I love to ask all of my guests because I'm in the elementary school world. And so I love to hear a memory or a story that you have from your time in elementary school. I can start with that, Tanya. I will say, and this is where I think it just comes down to make it engaging in kids. I had a first grade teacher, name was Mrs. Wright. And just at the end of the school year, she let us go through this box. She probably went to the Goodwill or Salvation Army and let us just grab stuff. But I didn't come from a home with much. And I still remember I grabbed this like yellow vinyl wallet. I had that thing to like the sixth grade. And so it's a silly thing, but it's a gesture sometimes that like teachers do things. We teach subjects. We want to go through the curriculum, but it's so often the non-instructional things that we do that make the biggest difference in a kid's life. And it just was fun to receive something fun. And so it's just reminded me throughout my career, just wherever we can make connections, it doesn't have to be giving them things, but just making additional connections with kids that go beyond the curriculum. That's what really counts. And as I look throughout my entire education, it's those teachers that just I got to know a little bit more or went above and beyond in certain ways that have just made significant differences in my life. And it's kind of a thread that I've tried to have throughout my own leadership and now within the district that I'm superintendent of. I remember this time in the first grade and I had this friend. My friends have always been a little strange. I mean, you met Joe. So... (laughs) I had this friend in the first grade and it began to snow in the middle of the day. And he convinced the teacher that he had never seen snow before. She allowed us all to put on our coats and hats and go outside and play in the snow because one of our classmates had never experienced it before. In Delaware? Yeah. She learned (laughs) later that he was was not from California like he had explained to her. (laughs) But yeah, little things like that. I remember because kids are so creative. And the things that they think of and say, and that we need to foster that creativity. And hey, I don't fault the teacher. I think it was a good idea that she allowed us to go out and play in the snow. It's always a good idea to go out and play in the snow. When I became a parent, it was one of the quotes that I remember seeing. And I actually think it might have been in the bathroom at my OB, like when I was pregnant. It might have been up on her bulletin board. But it was a quote that said, don't worry that the kids aren't listening to you instead worry that they're always hearing everything that you say. And so being aware of those little things and the yellow vinyl wallets and the times you get to go play in the snow, because those are things that kids are seeing and noticing and remembering and hearing as they grow up many, many years later. And for the first time, because I've told that story a few times, for the first time, I'm actually thinking as you're talking, maybe she did now. And she just humored (laughs) us and she thought these kids are all gathered around the window and we might as well just let them go outside and make a snowball because I'm not going to get them back anytime soon. Yep. And they need a break and it's snowing. And yeah, I mean, here we're having a record snow year in Tahoe. I went up last weekend to see the 52 feet of snow that have fallen 
I won't get to see that much snow again in my lifetime. It's amazing. So I, I'm all for the wonder of snow. <laughs> yeah, we're just the opposite. We haven't seen a dust in Delaware, which is just crazy. Maybe there are kids this year that haven't seen snow. It's possible. All right. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to reach out and learn more? Yeah, the best way to get us is at our website, theschoolhouse302.com, theschoolhouse, all one word, 302.com. Easy email address, contact at theschoolhouse302.com. We're on Twitter, at TJ Vary, at super underscore Jones, that's S-U-P-T underscore Jones. And also our business is on Twitter at T-S-H-302. But really, go to our site, theschoolhouse302.com. Subscribe to our resources. I mean it when you say you're going to get great information from the leaders we interview. Tanya has been on our podcast, one of our shows. We'll get her on the other show soon, maybe next season. And so we do blog posts, podcasts, book recommendations, video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we just want to serve school leaders so that they can lead better and grow faster. Wonderful. Thank you so much, TJ, Joe. This was a great conversation. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. UpAcademySF.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, rebel educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? reliably meet tier one standards you can do it all but don't waste another minute head straight to ixl.com b to learn how ixl's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals that's ixl.com b e